Good morning once again, Machias family and fellow soldiers in the battle for the building of God's kingdom. That's one of the things we're going to talk about today. But first, we're going to need our kids up front. How's everybody? I miss seeing you guys on on Wednesdays for Kids Jam. So this is our this is my chance to catch up with you. How is everybody? Yeah. Are you all getting anxious for the Christmas time to come along and all the things that happen there? Yeah, you get together with families and all that fun stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, have a seat a little bit. I hopefully, well, maybe we'll see how, how this works out. Whether you have to stand up or not. <clears throat> Got a number of items here. Ugh, this weighs a bunch. Ugh. I gotta have my glasses on for you guys. All right. There's a verse in the Bible. It says this. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And who do you think that is? Who gives us strength? God. Yes, that is right. Now, does that mean we can do everything we want to do if we just trust God enough? I could fly like Superman? No. Yeah. No. no. <clears throat> Be kind of cool, but no. Um, but what we have to understand is the guy who said this, who wrote this, actually was written by God through a man named Paul. You guys remember Paul, the Apostle Paul? Yeah. You remember him? Yeah. Yeah. What's that? Oh, yeah, there's a fly there. Yeah. <clears throat> Farmer. Well, at least it's closed up, so you don't have to worry about it. Okay, Paul, you know what Paul happened to Paul when he was in this life? He was an apostle and one of God's biggest Christians of the day. And so here's what you might think, right? You might think he, he wrote a whole bunch of the Bible, a whole bunch of our New Testament Bible. And you think that would be a pretty good spot to be in if you were a person and you think God says, hey, I'm going to use you through my Holy Spirit to write a whole bunch of the Bible. Oh, and so Paul's like, well, that would be really cool because I must be one of God's favorites, and therefore he's going to make sure everything in my life goes really smooth. But when he wrote that, I can do all things, here's what he wrote right before that. He said, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to be in plenty. I have learned the secret of being content inside, being happy even when things are not good, in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. And guess what else happened? He was in prison multiple times. He was in prison two times. I don't know how he got in prison the second time. Yeah, sometimes God let him out. He was beaten. With stuff, it says five times, five times he got 40 lashes minus one. How many is 40 minus one? 39. 39, yeah. And so five different times they had him probably tied up to something and gave him 39 lashes with a whip. Ouch. Three times he was beaten with sticks. Stoned. Ooh, this is a bad one. This does not have anything to do with drugs. This was when they didn't like you and they were angry with you, they would put you out into a place and people would throw rocks at you until you were dead. And in fact, they thought he was dead. And they just left him thinking, okay, you're probably dead. Three times he was on ships going from one place to another and they shipwrecked. One time he spent the night floating around in the ocean. With no one to help him. He's hungry, except for God. That's very good. 
And he was hungry and he didn't have food and he didn't have clothes. Sometimes he was cold. Sometimes he couldn't sleep. So does it sound like even if, even if you're really special in God's world that nothing bad is ever going to happen to you in life? No. You guys probably know that that's probably <clears throat> not true in your own life, right? Okay. So here's this little guy. He's an egg. Yeah. So here's what it's kind of like. Now I'm going to put our little man there. <clears throat> and then we're going to set this thing on top. And then what do you think will happen when bad stuff happens to him? Let's just say something really difficult comes and he has to put up with it. And, but he still, he still has God. But what happens? Oh, ooh. Hmm. Hey, that's why I brought this. Yeah, he got all over, didn't he? Yeah. Ew. Okay. <clears throat> Was that fun? Okay. So, so what happens for the next guy when he has a problem in life? And maybe in this guy's case, maybe he gets really sick. What if he gets really sick and he thinks, oh, can I deal with this? And, and, so, and life is really hard. I'm not going to drop it this time. Okay. Yeah, it probably got all over me. Again, that's why I brought this. Yeah. Okay. So, <clears throat> life can do that to us sometimes, huh? Crushes us. It can crush us. Life can sometimes crush us. What do we need? <clears throat> what did he say? I can do all things, even get through really, really hard times in life. Even that. Now, sometimes does God say, I'm never going to let anything bad happen to you? No. He says, when bad things happen, and in this world, you will have bad things happen. That's what Jesus said. I am going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. And so what do we need as our little egg people to deal with the problems that happen? First, we need a foundation. Let's just say this is Jesus in our life. This foundation, we start with something really solid and hard, and, and to keep us up. And then we put our little selves right there in Jesus. Then we have God's Holy Spirit. Yeah. What if he's sitting right there and we have the Holy Spirit surrounding us. And he's in our mind on top of our, of our little egg mind. And then bad things happen. Stand back. Oh, my goodness. you know how much that weighs? That's 10 pounds. You know how much this weighs? It weighs almost another 10 pounds. Did it crack? No. Did it break? No. Was it crushed? No. Why? Because you're holding it. No. <laughs> I love the thought processes. Good job. Okay, so now I'm not holding it. What, did it. what did this egg have that the other eggs didn't have when the hard stuff of life happened? Anybody? What? What? Paxton? He had the Holy Spirit in his heart. That's right. So God gives us his Holy Spirit, not saying bad things aren't going to happen, but saying inside where, where you need to have comfort and you need to have confidence and you need to have strength, I will be there for you. Even when the weight of life pressing down and you'll still make it because I'm with you and that's very important now you guys hopefully you haven't had too many really bad things happen in your life so far but they're coming they're coming because that's the world we live in so what is so important is not that bad stuff never happens but that when it does we can rely on Jesus and his Holy Spirit to keep us from being crushed by the bad things of life I know this is a hard lesson, 
But you'll remember the egg. I, I know that. Okay. All right. So go ahead and go on. No, we're not downstairs today, are we? I think we're upstairs. Okay. So now you get to hear the adult version. I did not try this beforehand, so I wasn't sure how splattery it was going to be. But I didn't want to waste a whole bunch of eggs. So hopefully it didn't get too bad. Thank you. I can count on you, Greg. All right. But the point is true. This is the adult version. Our lives are a battle, just like the egg. And we don't really know what is going to happen. <clears throat> Thessalonians 2, verses, uh, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, Paul is really going through and telling the church at Thessalonica and giving them some, giving them some tools to deal with brokenness. And so it's, the problem is, is they're broken. And here's what I, here's what I know <clears throat> is going to happen. We're all going to face trials. We're all in a battle. Some of it, and in fact most of it, we don't see. It's going on behind the scenes. It's spiritual. And so Paul is going to talk to them about what is going on. In, but what, what are the three things? Well, first of all, you're going to know this. And I'm going to guarantee you this. If you got up this morning and got here, you may have already faced some of it. We live in a broken world with broken people, and we're broken, and the devil is alive and well. We're battling the world, the flesh, and the devil. And those battles go on every day. And if you haven't started one, you will today. Because I know you, you woke up and you dragged your fleshliness into this room. Because none of us are completely fixed yet. And so that battle goes on. Paul talks about it in Romans. This battle that's going on inside of me, that I'm broken and my broken fleshly self wants to do things that are still evil and sinful. And so that battle's going on inside me. And then there's the battle of the world, and it's filled with broken people that are mean and evil, because I'm mean and evil at times, and I have this brokenness inside me. And so that is going to be one of the problems or challenges that we face as we are, we're going to talk about this in a minute, as we are out there building God's kingdom, okay? So we're, we're, we got that, and then this is, this is the one that we probably have the most trouble picturing. Um, there's a spiritual battle <clears throat> from satanic forces that don't want what God wants for you in your life. Uh, I listened this, this week, I was listening to a, a lecture by R.C. Sproul, who has gone to be with, with, with his Lord, and, and, but I really admired him. And he was talking about this, this, this uh, battle against satanic forces, and he was a professor of, of um, what was he a professor of? <clears throat> anyway, yeah, the, the word's not coming to me. But philosophy. And he was asking his class, how many of you believe in a divine creator? And, and 100% of the people raised their hand. And then he said, how many of you believe in a real, uh, a real being of Satan? Three people raised their hand. And he said, well, what, what's the difference? Why do you not believe in Satan? And they said, well, you know, they, he, we've kind of designated him to this place where like witches and goblins and, and uh, you know, dwarfs and, and um, um, el elves and all those kind of things that are kind of mythical creatures. And he said, no, hmm, that's interesting. Well, where would we go to find out what's really true? And you can see that that happens, right? We have little devil costumes and, and he shows up in commercials and he shows up on cartoons and he's this little red guy with horns and a pitchfork and a, and a barbed tail and all that. And, and we think, oh, that's a cute little mythical creature, but 
That's not what the Scripture says. And so Paul is talking to the church at Thessalonica, and, and they're saved. They're saved, and now they're, they're moving on, right? They're moving on from be, the, as far as what's next for me here in this life, God. Well, I've got some things that need to go on. <clears throat> I've told you about these three things before, or two things, and I'm going to add the third one. I talked about it a little bit last time. So first thing is I'm reconciled to God. Number one priority, I'm reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And, okay, and, and that's the, the audience for the letter. These are people that are believers in Thessalonica, and they are now being in the process of being transformed. And that's going to be a lifelong thing for them, just like it is for us. And so they're struggling with that, and they're probably going through a lot of persecution. There's a lot of trouble. This is not a popular thing in the, in the place that they live. There's persecution by the Jews. There's persecution by the society, the Romans. They are countercultural in many of the things that they are thinking and doing. And so they are under a lot of pressure from the outside. Okay. <clears throat> so so that, that's, that's one of the things going on. But then they're also tasked with something else. And that is to, okay, I'm not just, you're not just here to be saved. You're not just here to be transformed. You're here then to be used as a tool to build God's kingdom, and that's what they were trying to do. Paul was saying, I need to equip you to go out now and spread the word to build the family of God. And why does that happen? I was thinking about it, you know, we talked about it in there before here. I was thinking about this, and, you know, how do we view ourselves after we're saved and we come to a church to be transformed and, 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 you know, or we're going to do all the things. We're going to listen to somebody say some words, and then we're going to, we're going to sing and worship and fellowship together and all that. <clears throat> but your identity is partially a soldier of God, right? How many of you, you know, I'm in the Lord's army, I'm in the Lord's army. I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never fly or the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. <clears throat> that's true. Um, you have a commander-in-chief who assigned you to this barracks and this duty station, and this is part of what you're going to do. This is now part of your identity is you are part of God's plan to build God's kingdom. And so, therefore, I bring you together in groups and I give you special spiritual gifts for the purpose of going out and building God's kingdom, which I'm in charge of. So that's part of what they're doing. And all three of those things, being saved being transformed, and building God's kingdom are going to come up against opposition from the flesh inside you, from the broken people and the broken world that you live in, and from Satan. How many of you believe that? I hope you do. It's true. In fact, your lives, most of our lives, are very clearly demonstrating that to us on a very regular basis that the things that I am doing is not something that Satan wants to have happen. Or it's not the thing that my culture wants to have happen. And I am now countercultural more so than I've ever been in my life as far as the view of Christianity. And, and, and so the people around us are, are, are not friendly towards Christianity. And Satan is always there. And the, and the lies are being, oh man, they're just being perpetrated over and over and over. <clears throat> it wasn't that much different for the people at Thessalonica. What they were doing may be even more countercultural than what's happening now. And they were still broken inside themselves. They still had a part of themselves that was broken and is fleshly and evil and selfish and wants to do it man's way instead of God's way. And so the battles they faced were exactly the same as the battles we face today. Exactly. Um, you know, you'd think maybe the world has changed and evolved and gotten better, but it hasn't because men are the same, they're evil. And so we see ourselves in this conflict from all three of those things every single day. Now, sometimes, sometimes you think, well, I don't really get a lot of persecution from the outside, but the devil sees you and his minions. And if you're here, he doesn't like you being here. And if you're reading your Bible, he doesn't like that. And if you're praying, he does not like that. So you're going to be under some sort of opposition, certainly from within, 
Certainly that the devil knows what's going on. And, and how much you'll get from broken men or the world that we live in, you know, that kind of comes and goes and ebbs and flows depending on how much you put yourself out there. I mean, you can probably stay under the radar and not see a lot of persecution for your Christianity, but that's not the kind of Christianity that God says you're supposed to have. Right? If we're going to be a light to the community, we're going to draw some, some opposition. Okay, so where are you going with this, Tim? Well, I, what I'm trying to say is, Paul then understands that. He, he understands that very well. If you read Romans, I mean, he understands completely this opposition that's inside himself, what's going on out in the world, and the fact that Satan is alive and well on planet Earth. And in fact, he has been given dominion here, and he is the prince of this world, the Bible says. Okay. I don't often think about that, and, and I know that we can take that out, you know, out of its right perspective and say, everything that I do that's sinful is because the devil made me do it. No, that's mainly what you do is because of your broken sinfulness that's still in there. Does the devil have an effect? Is he out there trying to discourage the things of God? Yeah, absolutely. And he has helpers, a number, I guess, about a third of the angels of heaven were kicked out with Satan and sent here, thank you. So, there is opposition. That's my point. I mean, it's pretty clear. There, there, there's just, because of the brokenness of the world, obviously things go wrong. You know, John, you know, the tool always breaks, right? I mean, no matter, or you can't find it, or your grandson has taken it and hidden it somewhere. The moment you needed it, he had my screwdriver, and I, I don't know exactly where it ended up, but. So, I know that that happens, and, and so we, we, we see it in, in daily life all the time. What are we going to do about it? Are you going to be crushed like the egg? Because I'm telling you, I am telling you, there can be times in your life that will crush you. It can get bad enough. I mean, I can look through this room and I know some of the stories. There's some very, very difficult things going on in the lives of some of the people here that could be crushing, crush your soul. And so the things that Paul is talking to the Thessalonians about are things that we need to own in order to get through this life that is so difficult. And God has a plan for that. In fact, you know, I'm reading through this and get to the back like Ron's saying. Yep, in the end we win. <laughs> we need to hang on to some of those things. So there's some things about life and God that Paul wants them to know so that they can live through the opposition that they're going to face. In all three of those things, the opposition to bring people into the family, the opposition to be transformed to the image of Christ, and the opposition to go out and build, right? So all those things. So... He knows it's hard. He's experienced it. I, I, I read you in the kids' time some of the things that Paul himself had gone through. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if that was the cost of your faith, would you be able to handle it? I haven't been drug out and stoned yet. But, but would I be able to handle that? Now, We've talked about this in men's group a number of times. John and I have had this conversation. You know, sometimes, you know, God doesn't give us the grace we need or the thing until the, the event happens. So you know, I'm not necessarily going to have to prepare too much. But would I, I ask myself, would I stand up against the wall and say, Tim, denounce Christ or I'm going to shoot you in the head? Um, you know, like Ron was saying, pushing the button, I'm thinking, yeah, do it. <laughs> but now, what if it was my wife up against the wall or my grandchildren or my kid? And so God wants to, God wants to life-proof us because this life is hard. Part of it is keeping in mind and having the correct perspective that this is not all there is, thank you, God, and to use that perspective to help us get through the tough times of this life. But not only that, he says, hey, not only am I going to get you through it, I'm going to help you find joy in it if you will just do it my way. Okay, so all that to say, I'm going to read you the passage. 
<clears throat> and we'll go through it verse by verse, and we'll see what, what it is that the Thessalonians are getting from Paul, what kind of instruction. You know, last week we talked about how do I evaluate Scripture? How am I going to read Scripture? I'm going to look for things that are informing me, that are instructing me, that are giving me comfort and confidence and, and encouragement, and things that are correcting me. And he's going to give them some, mostly the first two, information and, and some instruction and some, some encouragement, the first three, not a lot of correction in this one, but how to deal with these things that you are going through, and then how are we dealing with the things we are going through? So here's, here it is. Finally, brothers, pray for us. So the last time, if you remember, before he had talked about, um, in 13 through 17, uh, we always give thanks for you, brothers, beloved of the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification and through the Spirit and belief in the truth. So he was talking about all of that and that how, so then, brothers, stand firm, hold on to the, to the teachings that we taught you, either by word or letter, and now may Jesus Christ himself, this is the confidence part, this is, now may Jesus Christ himself, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and work. Okay, so he's trying to build them up. So that's a little context of where they came from. I'm trying to give you some confidence because I know what's going on in your lives. I know it's hard. You're getting opposition from your brokenness inside. You're getting opposition from the world around you. You're getting opposition from Satan, and so are we. So I want to share with you some things. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Well, I mean, you can read through that and say, well, I don't see anything really majorly outstanding in there, Tim. I think there is. I think there's some really great things to hold on to in there. So well, let's take a look at that verse by verse and kind of see what it is that Paul is telling them. So in the first verse, it says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. So speed ahead. What, is, what do you think? Speed ahead. What does he, what does he say? First of all, he's saying what, though? Pray. Well, thank you. Pray. Pray for us. And, and, and who's he? So he's saying, pray, Thessalonians, pray for us, Timothy, Silas, and Paul. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead. What do you think? Speed ahead. Run hastily on the course that was planned and would be honored or magnified and deemed glorious. So he's saying what? What did he do? He said, I am out here building the kingdom of God. There is a plan to do that. And it's not my plan. Here's what I'm asking you to pray. Would you pray that God's Holy Spirit goes ahead of us and prepares the hearts and minds of the people that we're going to go to because here's what I know, Thessalonians, I don't save anybody. I can be a tool. I can be used of God, but this belongs to God. So if we're going to look at the opposition to becoming a Christian, the opposition that the devil does not want people to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so there's opposition that's happening there. And Paul is saying, guess what? Here's what really happens. God's Holy Spirit goes ahead of us and prepares the hearts and minds. Who does the battle for salvation rest with God we think we get to be part we think we can save people we had this in our in our sent class pray we're going to pray because the sent class in in the book it says because here's the thing God is already out there working ahead of us right here it says it 
God is already out there working in the hearts and minds of people. Are we going to tap into what God is already doing? Or are we going to try to come up with a plan of our own so we can just be a tool for God? I want to do this, God, and I know who should be coming to you, and I know the people I shouldn't be talking to. But Paul is saying, no, no, no. First of all, number one, pray, because this is God's battle. All three phases of this battle belong to the Lord. That's the number one truth you need to know. The number one truth you need to know is that in the battle for bringing people into the family, that the battle inside you, that the battle for the brokenness of the world, the battle of Satan all belong to God. You may be participants, and probably you are. You're certainly a a participant in the battle for the brokenness that you have inside. But even that one belongs to God. You think you can fix you after you become saved. I got news for you, you can't. Every one of those battles need prayer, and they need God. Now, you can be the squashed egg, or you cannot. And and the realization is that it belongs to God. And that if I'm going to win in any of those three fronts, I need prayer And the prayer is there so that I am acknowledging who is in control of the situation. I'm going to pray. Why does Paul want them to pray for him? Do you think he's saying, guess what? God doesn't actually know what's going on with us down here. Would you pray and ask him to go ahead of us? No. He's acknowledging that God is already in control, already has the best plan, and would you help us to line up with God's plan, and would you pray, knowing that and and acknowledging that we are giving this battle to the Lord. There's a battle going on in your life in one of those three fronts or all of them. Will you pray and ask God to lead you out or through it? Next verse. And that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. Okay, so the first one was, hey, we need your plan. We need you to go ahead because we know that you are the force that's going to give us victory. Now I'm telling you this, I, there are wicked and evil men. Which one of those battles is this? The battle for the brokenness of the world and the other people that are in it. Now, sometimes, sometimes those people are even in churches, hopefully not as much. But if you go out now, today, you can find a way to attract the attention of evil men who don't like what you're doing. Hopefully, if you're just out there, and you're out there in a way that is so plain that you are going to attract attention, I mean, the easiest way to avoid any sort of persecution here now is just keep your mouth shut. But that's not what God says. So Paul's again praying, and that we may be delivered, rescued from wicked, improper, injurious, harmful, evil, morally diseased, hurtful, and degenerate people. That's part of the battle that you're in. Now, as we went through the list of the things that Paul had to deal with, was there anything in there where you thought, man, uh, did he do this at all? Did God deliver Paul at all? I mean, he got whipped five times, and he was beaten with rods three times, and he was stoned and left for dead. Well, hold on, hold on. I didn't, you didn't give me anything. Does God promise us that wicked and evil men are not going to have an effect on us? And as Christianity moves, will they have even more effect on us? as far as are we going to come upon their opposition? Does he promise us no? No, he doesn't say that. Paul's life could say, look, I was, I was heavily affected by wicked and evil men everywhere I went because Satan knew Paul. <laughs> and so did wicked and evil men. And, and the men that are being influenced by, by those forces of evil to counter the things of God. And so Paul is, is, not, is not saying, hey, I want you to go ahead so I don't have to suffer any of those things that he already says he's done. But he knows inside he will not be crushed. And there's nothing wrong with praying for less opposition, is there? 
How would you, do you, how many of you get up every morning and say, God, just please send me someone who's just really obnoxious towards Christianity so I can get denigrated? No. But I sometimes pray, hey, I, you can smooth the way. But he's not promising that. He is promising, though, that throughout this opposition, if you give the battle to me, I am there. And I will keep you from being crushed. Have Christians been beheaded? Have they died? Have they been tortured? Have they been, yes, all of those things. In the end, did they still win? Yes. In the end, were their souls crushed? Hopefully not. They didn't need to be. The opposition is not going to go away. But Paul's asking, will you help us be delivered? And what do you, what do you think his, his motive is there? What do you think Paul's motive is? Just so it won't hurt? Or so that I can be the most effective tool in building God's kingdom in God's hands. I got a feeling that was it. Because he's, he said it. He said, I would rather go on to be with Christ, to live as Christ, to die as gain. I would rather be there, but for your sake, I pray that God keeps me here. I got to think his motive here so that, is that not so that he won't go through pain, but so that they, the evil men will get out of the way of the effectiveness of his ability to do what God wants him to do. But he says this, but the Lord is faithful. This is the answer, folks. This is the answer in verse 3. The Lord is faithful even if we are not delivered from evil and wicked men. The Lord is still faithful. And he's telling them that. So he's taking it away from himself now and saying, look, I've been through this. You're going through this stuff. Pray for us because we're probably going to run into some wicked and evil men down here in Corinth. And did they? Yes, they did. But he wants to assure them as well. So he said, but, but the Lord, even, even through that, the Lord is faithful, and he will establish you and guard you against the evil one. So who's the evil one? Satan. Okay, so we got wicked and evil men, and then we got the wicked and evil force of evil, the devil himself, and he is giving them the assurance. He'll, the Lord's faithful. No matter what opposition you're going to get from wicked and evil men or the devil himself, I am still there and I will guard you against the evil one. Against the effects of the evil? Not necessarily. But inside, in the steadfastness of your faith and your heart, I will guard you. In fact, he's going to say that in the next verse. And we, oh, actually, we have confidence in the Lord about you. So first he says, God is faithful. Then he says, and we have confidence. Did he say this? Does he say this? And we have confidence in you that you will do what we said. No, he doesn't say that. He says, and we have confidence in the Lord. And, and why do I know that? We're going to look at that in a second. That you are doing and will do the things that we commanded. Okay, so he's gone, and he's, he's, he's shared with them the message of salvation. It sounds like he shared with them, you know, some of the details about how it's all going to end up. They asked about that earlier. You know, he says, hey, remember when I was there, I told you these things. He's shared some things about doctrine with them. He's told them some things that they're not supposed to be doing and things that they are supposed to be doing. And he's saying, look, I have every confidence in your ability to be faithful. No. I know this. I have every confidence that God, who started the work in you, is going to finish it. He wrote that in Philippians chapter 1. I have every confidence in the Lord about you guys, that you're doing and will do the things that we commanded. And then chapter, verse 5, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. And so here he is, and he's telling them, He's praying for them now. May the Lord direct your hearts. May the Lord fully straighten and guide you, the word for direct, your hearts, the center of your heart, of your thoughts and feelings, to the steadfastness or the enduring, cheerful patience in Christ. So he's giving them a promise and some confidence that even in the midst of the trials of this world, that God is in there and he will direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. 
And that is where we have to go in the midst of the storm. He's not saying no storms. He's saying, look, this is what I have confidence in that you can have confidence in. That in the midst of these trials and persecution, that the Lord is going to keep your hearts lined up with his and direct you towards not only your own steadfastness, but the steadfastness of Christ who never wavers, never varies, never fails. In this process, God is going to take you and keep you and guard you in Christ, not from the trials of the world, but from disheartening and loss of faith and despair and anguish. The, in, the inner battle. On the outside, we're all going to die. And some of them died sooner than others. And some of them died for their faith. And it didn't mean that God was unfaithful. And that's the thing we have to remember in the trials of this world. So let's go through and take a look, as I was saying. If we really want to internalize these things, let's think about this. God is the power and the authority that controls the entire sphere of the conflicts that are going on around you. All three. All three areas. Your conflict with your inner self, the conflict with other broken men, and the conflict with the forces of evil. God is in control. God will win the battle on your behalf. Remember in the Old Testament when when they were moving into the the promised land. And they wanted to go up against Jericho. And everything in them, I'm sure, was saying, hey, look, we need a force, and here's the strategy we're going to use. And God gives them a different plan. March around the city seven days. On the seventh day, march around it seven times. Blow a bunch of horns. Uh, how is that going to help? Trust me. And then they did, and, and they blew the horns, and the walls fell down, and, and they won the victory. And then they decided to go up to, go up to Ai uh, without consulting the Lord, without doing it in his strength, and they got whooped. That's the same. We have to recognize that we are under conflict in this world every day from inside and from outside, and the only chance we have is to give the battle to the Lord. That's the spiritual truth that he's telling them there starting out. Every aspect of this conflict, you can find success, but only inside of God. The battle belongs to Him. Then in verse 1, we look to prayer to bring God's power to bear on the particular situations that we face. In Psalms 91, verses 14 through 16, it says this, Because He holds fast to me in love, I will deliver Him. I will protect Him because He knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him, and I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. That's God talking about his kids. In the midst of being tortured and in the midst of being killed. We look to prayer to bring God's power to bear on the situations that we face in these conflicts. Verse 2 Actually, I'm going to basically what I did here was just start over again. So, verse 2 and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. God can deliver us from wicked and evil men, but even if they prevail temporarily, God and his children will triumph in the end. The bigger picture. Psalm 23 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So if we're going to, we need to internalize these things, people. That's the thing. We need to internalize the fact that God's plan for us in conflict is going to work. You have to believe it inside. You can't just know it intellectually. You have to live with these truths. You have to make these truths your own, because I can guarantee you the battle is going to continue in your life until you're gone from here. And sometimes it can become overwhelming. We have to know the truth of God. Paul was trying to give them these truths so that they could have the confidence and the knowledge and the encouragement 
to make it through the battle, but knowing that the only way to get through was to give the whole thing over to God. In every aspect, your salvation was an act of God. It wasn't about you choosing Him. It was about Him coming inside you and changing your heart and mind so that the message of the gospel would resonate with you and you would indeed make a decision, but it was because God opened your heart and your eyes through the power of His Holy Spirit. Everything about that process belonged to God and He brought you into the family. And it's the same thing about your life being transformed into the image of Jesus. You have to die to yourself, give that over to God, and pray for God's power and His Holy Spirit to lead you out of the path of death into the path of life and the, the, the abundant life that God wants for you by dying to self. And you'll never do it on your own. And the conflict that you're getting from the outside world that is, again, becoming more and more prevalent all the time, and the devil himself, there's only one way through that, and that's to give it to God. And those are the kind of truths we have to have to hang on to because if you aren't going through something really bad now, you will be going through something bad at some point. I can almost guarantee you. And then what, what God promises in verse 3 is, I will be faithful. No matter what, He will strengthen and firmly plant you during the battle that you're going to have against the evil one who is the prince of this world. But in the end, he too will be thrown down. In the bigger picture, it says in 1 John 3, 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No, in the end, he loses. But it's only through the power of God. And then in verse 4 and 5, we have these truths. The Lord is working in you to keep you faithful and obedient. The Lord is working in you to keep you faithful and obedient. How many times have you been not faithful? How many times have you been not obedient? Why do you think God is putting you back on track? Because he says in 1 Thessalonians, and he actually said back in... Um, Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the, Lord, on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Thessalonians, which we used to have up here uh, at the end of every service, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, for the one who called you is faithful. He will surely do it. In that battle that's going on inside of you, you have to know that God is leading you and directing your hearts to himself. And that, and that you can have confidence that you're going to do the things that you've been commanded, not because of your own faithfulness, but because God continues to work in you. The one who started it is going to finish it, and he will continue to sanctify you throughout your life. The one who, who called you is faithful. He will do it. What does it require from you, though? Surrender dying to self, and living by the Holy Spirit. That is a decision you're going to have to make. That is an act of your will that you're going to have to say, God is in there, he is willing to continue, and he will never stop. But he wants me to get out of the driver's seat and put the Holy Spirit in the driver's seat and surrender my own selfish, broken will. We have the confidence that the Lord will direct our hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ, even in the midst of all three of those battles. God promises within the struggle to strengthen, straighten your path and keep your eyes fixed on Him. He will grab hold of your thoughts and feelings and move them towards Himself and into the solid foundation of Christ and you will share his love and his glory in the end. It says in Psalms 23, verses 1 through 3, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his sake. That's a promise. That's a promise. That God is always there. Now, you think, okay, I've been through these issues and I've failed. And therefore, and we do this over and over. And we try to do it in the flesh. And we try to just be better. We try to resist the devil. We try to stand against evil men that are 
trying to threaten us. And we fail. And then we think, that's it. It's an unwinnable fight. I'm just done, God. I'm just giving up. And God is saying, no. Don't give up. Just give it to me. I will lead you beside still waters. Inside. I will heal your soul. And I will lead you in the paths of righteousness for my name's sake. It's a battle. The battle is going to continue as long as you live in this body, in this earth. If you have any hope whatsoever of being victorious, it requires giving it to God in prayer. It requires understanding that God is the only source of victory and then surrendering your own efforts to the efforts of God and His Holy Spirit to lead you through the battle and bring you to victory in the end. That's the spiritual truths that Paul was trying to impart to the people in Thessalonica as they were going through in a very, very early phase of their Christian life, going through this horrible, horrible persecution and trial, along with some other things, like they were getting false teaching, uh, they were having some other issues. We're going to talk next time about people that were just giving up everything and going and, and mooching off other people because, hey, Jesus is coming back. There are lots of ways, and that's kind of one of those inner, inner ways, my inner selfishness is saying, hey, um, I don't want to do anything anymore. And those battles were going on in their lives, and he was giving them these spiritual truths. The thing is, this was written to you the same way it was written to them. But if you don't internalize these spiritual truths, you're going to struggle in your battle against sin in your own life, sin in the world, and the devil. I hope you take them to heart. Go back and read this to yourself and pull those things out and say, what, where in these passages is God speaking to my heart? And internalize those things and take the same encouragement, instruction, and information that Paul is giving the Thessalonians and make it yours this week. All right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you that we are not going through this life alone. Sometimes it feels like that, but it's not true. We can go to your scripture and find out the truth of the matter is you're always there and you're always there fighting in our behalf if we'll just let you instead of trying to fight all this stuff off on our own. The battle belongs to you. You are the one that has the victory and Lord, we need your help at getting out of your way so that you can do battle on our behalf although you still want us to participate. Lord, finding that balance is hard because we are stubborn and stiff-necked people with this will to do things on our own, to save ourselves and be in control, and that's hard for us to give up. But Lord, if we have any hope of victory in this life, we've already been guaranteed victory in the next one by being your children. But this fight against evil people and the, and the evil one of Satan and this evil that still exists inside of us, Lord, is only going to be victorious because of you. So, Lord, we need that. We need your help to get out of your way and get on your team and recognize that the victory has already been won if we'll only claim it through you. So, Lord, this is a hard, hard subject for us, hard things for us. We need the hope and the encouragement of your word. So help us, Lord, to both know it intellectually but internalize it and live it. And so we just ask that in, in your son's name through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.